Having an inclusive environment is really important to Amazon because we want the best builders of all backgrounds to want to come to Amazon to build, innovate, and create solutions and products for all of our customers. And we want them to stay at Amazon because they see long-term career opportunities. Amazon is a peculiar culture. We believe that every person is a leader and we believe that innovation happens from every seat. And you need an inclusive environment where all voices can be heard and all ideas can be nurtured. Being an ally is really important because it means recognizing and acknowledging oppression and marginalization broadly. It allows every person to proactively stand in solidarity with anyone who experiences oppression, even if your own identity is being marginalized in a different way. See, as an able-bodied person, I can be an ally for people with disabilities. As a cisgender woman, I can be an ally for the transgender community. As an African-American, I can be an ally for other people of color. Allyship helps ensure equity for all. Allies embrace that we are all human, we are all different, and we're all equal. By actively listening, speaking candidly, and treating others respectfully, allies allow every team member to feel valued. And when people feel like they're part of a team, they tackle challenging tasks with higher level reasoning and greater intelligence. In short, allies help ensure that our differences contribute to our success, not standing in the way of achieving our goals. And you can start being an ally today by being intentional in your actions. Make it clear, as a society, we will no longer stand for racism, sexism, or any form of discrimination. Believe that all people, regardless of race, gender identity, and sexual orientation, should be treated with dignity and respect. Be willing to listen and learn. In order to be an effective ally, it is necessary to understand the experiences of those you want to support and to believe them. The best way to reach that understanding is to be a good listener. Confront your own prejudices and bias even when it is uncomfortable to do so. Hace tu investigación. No puede ser efectivo si no sabes cuáles son los problemas. Seek out marginalized voices and perspectives. Proactively seek out voices you're hearing from, especially from people who belong to marginalized communities. Be proactive about inclusion at work and in your daily life. If you are in any position of authority, you have an opportunity to be more inclusive of people from other backgrounds and communities. Take proactive measures to invite people of color, immigrants, disabled folks, and other marginalized people into your space. Anti-LGBT, sexist, and racist comments and jokes are harmful. Let your coworkers know that you find them offensive. Defend your friends from underrepresented groups against discrimination. Don't assume that all your friends and coworkers are straight. Someone close to you could be looking for support in their coming out process. Not making assumptions will give them the space they need. Help open up spaces without taking them over. An ally's role is never to speak for others, but to take down the obstacles facing the oppressed and to allow them to speak for themselves. Start in your own circle. Call out colleagues on their microaggressions, even when it's uncomfortable or there are no marginalized people around to be offended. They'll likely be more open to listen to you and it'll give you the opportunity to affect the real change. Basically, one of our senior technologists was harassed online. This is unacceptable and will not be tolerated at AWS. At live events, virtual events, and across AWS blogs, online forums, and social media. It is our responsibility to call it out when we see it. And don't wait for the next technologist, regardless of race, gender, 
sexual orientation or religion to get fed up. We firmly believe in the value and importance of an environment where all AWS community members feel safe and welcome. We all need to work together to improve diversity and inclusion in this industry. Well, that was a powerful video. Clearly, this whole concept of diversity and inclusion is critical and important to AWS and Amazon. And hopefully it's critical importance to all of you, which is why you're spending the next hour with me. I'm Karen Catlin, and I'm so thrilled to see you here today. And I'm going to be sharing everyday actions for how all of you can become better allies for people who are underrepresented in your workplace. And there's a little bit of a backstory here that I want to share with you of how I even came to start focusing on allyship and becoming an advocate for inclusive workplaces. The backstory is that this is career 2.0 for me. I had a first career where I was actually working in tech. I spent about 25 years building software products. I started out as a software engineer with my computer science degree right out of college, writing code for a living. And then over time, I moved into program management and people management roles, and then eventually into executive leadership. And most recently, I was the vice president of engineering at Adobe. And during that 25-year career, I noticed a decline happening, a decline in the number of women in the industry. Some of you might be of my genre, and you might remember that there used to be a lot more women getting computer science degrees. And if this is unfamiliar territory with, for you, um, I do have a TEDx talk on this topic. You can Google TEDx Karen Catlin. You can watch it in case you want to geek out about how, how um, the gender diversity has changed in the industry. But it was declining. And so while I was still at Adobe, I started doing a lot of advocacy for women across the company. I started our women's resource group. I started a speaker series for women. I started networking opportunities, and I started mentoring a lot of women. And after doing that activity for a number of years and supporting women at the company, I decided to start on Career 2.0, which was a big pivot. It was a pivot away from building products to then advocating and helping women working out in tech grow leadership skills. I became a leadership coach, and I love being a leadership coach. I've been doing this for about seven years now, absolutely love it. But that said, there's only so much one person can do. Even if I were the most amazing coach in the world and I help my clients strengthen their leadership skills and become better leaders, there's only so much I can do for women across the industry when our cultures are not necessarily welcoming and inclusive. And I started realizing that there's a lot more that I could be doing to help my clients. And some of this, I think you're probably familiar with, um, is kind of very apparent as we think about some of the headlines we've been seeing just in the last year or two about the challenges around diversity and inclusion, the bias we face, the harassment that's in our industry. It's not a very pretty place. And I hope that not every company is like these headlines up here, but a lot of our industry is. So getting fed up with reading these headlines and all of this information online and media, and coupled that with 
the challenges I saw my clients, my coaching clients go through, I decided I needed to do something more to create an environment where people could be doing their best work, where we had truly inclusive workplaces, where people from all sorts of different backgrounds, women and men, people of different sexual orientations, people of different color, ethnicities, religions, abilities, ages, where people of all sorts could be coming together and just thriving and like engagement scores would be through the roof and there's tons of innovation happening and it's just an amazing place to work. So about four years ago, I started a Twitter handle. I like to call it an initiative, but it really was just a Twitter handle, Better Allies. And actually, this is the first time I've ever said in public that this is me behind this Twitter handle. It's, it's kind of an anonymous pseudonym online. And I started collecting everyday actions that people could be doing every day in their workplace to create a more inclusive environment. And I did this based on the research I saw happening by social scientists. And I did it based on other media and articles I was reading. And I was doing it based on just firsthand and anecdotal kind of experience. And I started collecting these everyday examples. And I started figuring out what was resonating with people, what was making it a difference, what was helpful. And I kept going. And I want to tell you too, like maybe some of you who are on Twitter, like Twitter kind of has a reputation of it being kind of a cesspool, not very pleasant place. I love Twitter. I get fan tweets to this Twitter account. I get so much support. It's pretty, it's pretty special. And because I've been doing this now for four years, I didn't want all of these tweets to kind of fade into the Twitter twilight, which happens. I recently started writing a book, Better Allies, the Better Allies book. It's, I'm just putting the finishing touches on it. It's going to be available in January. And I'm thrilled to be here today to be sharing some of the top tips from the book so that you all get kind of a, an early look at it. And moving forward, I just want to tell you my goals for today, in case it wasn't already clear. Um, I want all of you to gain some awareness of the challenges that people from underrepresented groups face in the workplace that you might not have been aware of before. This is especially important for anyone who's in the majority, which in tech is, chances are here in the States, it's a white man. But really for everyone to understand some of these challenges that underrepresented people face. And I want you all to learn at least a couple of these everyday actions that you're gonna hear me say over and over again, but things that you can do Actually, when you walk out of the room here today at reInvent, and of course next week when you get back to work. And I'd love to hear from maybe about three of you in the audience. You can just shout out um, the answer to this, but I would love to know how you would finish this sentence. I want a diverse and inclusive workplace because. Do I have any volunteers to shout out why this is important to you? Why you're here today? Yes, thank you. Um, I want a diverse and inclusive workplace because it brings a wealth of, idea, of ideas and creativity to our team. It brings a wealth of creativity and ideas to the team. Different perspectives, different experiences, different thought processes and all of that. Thank you. How about someone else? Why do you care about this? Go ahead, yes. I've enjoyed the benefits of being part of an inclusive culture, and I want to pay it forward, and I want to see more of that, I think. I'm going to add a little bit to your statement. Thank you for sharing that, absolutely. How about one more? 
Yeah, in the back. Go ahead. It feels like a moral imperative. It feels just like the right thing to do, especially given the history around racism and sexism, not maybe just in our industry, but in our society, right? It feels like the right thing to do. Thank you for sharing those. In addition, there's so many financial benefits and business benefits that perhaps you've heard of. There's increased innovation when we have diverse teams. There's increased profitability. There's better problem solving, okay? So there's so many business reasons, as well as it feeling like the right thing to do, we want to pay it forward, and so forth. Um, so many reasons. And today, hopefully you're all thinking, right, I got it, I want, I want this diverse and inclusive workplace too, but what am I supposed to do? I'm not exactly like the head of diversity and inclusion at my company. I'm not the VP of people. What can I do? Well, there's things that each one of us can do. And what I'm going to cover in the rest of my talk is four basic areas where you can make a difference. I'm gonna start off talking about our networks, our professional networks, and how we all tend to have networks that are just like us, whether that's the blue tie club or something else. We're then going to talk about what happens in our meetings and how sometimes people from underrepresented backgrounds don't always show up well and can't, get, can't um, have an equal seat at the table. I'm then gonna talk about giving equitable and effective feedback and how sometimes we hold back from doing that because of the dreaded tissue box. And last but not least, I'm gonna talk about office housework. And if you're not familiar with that term yet, you will be by the end of my talk. So let's get started with the first topic, networking. So it turns out that most of us have networks that are full of people just like me, just like us. And it's because of the way we form our networks. Our networks often come from common interests, whether that is hobbies or common technology we're interested in or perhaps places we've worked in the past, right? Common interests fuel our networks because we have something in common with people and we wanna be hanging out with them and learning more about what they're all about, right? We include them, we invite them to things. Quick story, when I was at Adobe, I was a member of the San Francisco Office Knitting Club. I've got one of my colleagues here, I can, I can attest to this. And I love that knitting club. We got together once a week, we knit baby blankets and hats for a nonprofit that we were supporting. It was so much fun. Guess how many men I met through that knitting group? <laughs> Zero. Zero. And it's not that no men, you know, never knit or that men never knit, but no men in our office decided to join us. And it's just one example of how it can be challenging for someone who is from an, the outside, from a minority perspective, join an activity that's full of people in the majority. And the other thing about our networks, it's interesting, outside of work, men tend to hang out with male coworkers, okay? Whether that's on the golf course, or a poker night, or grabbing a beer after work, or maybe going to a ball game or some sort of sporting event, right? Men tend to hang out with male coworkers. And by contrast, women, we tend to hang out with non-coworkers. Maybe it's people, you know, a nonprofit that we belong to, or a book club that we are in, or if we're a member of a religious community, it's people from that group. Or if we are a parent, maybe it is other parents from our kids' school, okay? Men hang out with male coworkers, women hang out with other people. And as a result, 
the men are strengthening their internal professional networks so much more because they're spending time outside of work with these people. And then there is something called unconscious demotions that affect our ability to include people who aren't like us. An unconscious demotion might look like first day of class at university, you walk in and there's someone who's from an underrepresented background at the front of the auditorium and you assume they're the teaching assistant, not the professor. An unconscious demotion might look like a person of color, and I've heard this from so many people of color, at a you know, person of color who's an engineer at a professional networking event, and somebody comes up to them and says, hey, we ran out of crackers on the cheese tray, can you refill it? Okay? They've been unconsciously demoted from being an engineer to a member of the catering staff. Or it might ha look like this, which there are a lot of women in the room, I bet this has happened to you because every single woman I've talked to has had this happen to her. And in fact, it happened to me just earlier this year. I was visiting my husband at his office, and he said, oh, I want you to meet my friend Steve. So I walk over, get introduced to Steve, and Steve says, Karen, nice to meet you. I hear you used to work at Adobe. Did you work in marketing or HR? Okay. And while there's nothing wrong with marketing or HR roles at all, it's just that when you have a technical background, it's like one more message that you do not belong here, that you don't fit the bill. By the way, I told him, like, actually, I was a VP of engineering, but anyway. <laughs> so these homogenous networks, these just-like-me networks, tend to really limit diversity and inclusion in our companies, in our workplaces. They limit diversity because, frankly, we all hire from our network. We make recommendations for people we know, right? And so if we have homogenous networks, we're going to hire homogeneity, okay? It also in fact affects information sharing. Let's think about if you hear about some, something that's going on, rumor of some new product that your, your company's acquiring, or some customer that's happening, or some part of the code base that's getting retired, or whatever your information is that you know about, who are you gonna share that with? You're gonna share it with people in your network, right? So people in the know are going to be sharing the, the, the know with the people who are like them. It also impacts workplace trust. Let's face it, we all trust people that we know and who are in our networks, and so, if we are in a position to do things such as assign stretch assignments, those cool new projects to go learn some new technology or go off and build some new part, new feature, right? If we're in a kind of position where we can give out these stretch assignments, we're gonna give them to people we know, people in our network. If we are in the position of giving promotions, we are going to give those promotions to people we trust, people we know. In reorgs, it may look like the people we know get the jobs saved, right? And other people might get rift. And if we're in a leadership role and creating a succession plan, which is a healthy part of leadership, we're going to be tapping people that we know to be our successor, okay? So my first call to action for all of you is a set of everyday actions around diversifying your network. And it might look like things like this, like introduce yourself to someone who doesn't look like you at the next networking event. How many people are going to the pub crawl tonight? Okay, challenge. Introduce yourself to someone who doesn't look like you. Start a conversation, get to know them. Add them to your network. Secondly, don't ever give these, do demo uh, these unconscious demotions, please. When you meet someone, anyone at a technical event like reInvent, 
or any other meetup you might go to. Assume they're technical until you find out more, right? Make that assumption, make that you're going in. And why not attend an event? Set a goal for yourself, maybe sometime in the next couple months. Attend an event for an underrepresented group in tech. It might be, if you're a man, going to a woman in tech event or a girl geek dinner. If you are a white person, it might mean going to a person of color in tech event. If you're straight, maybe going to a lesbian suit tech event, right? These things are out there, and by attending one, and you can all, you're all, maybe some of you are thinking, like, am I even welcome? You can always ask the organizer, because many of these are open to allies, and they welcome people from the community to join them. You learn so much about the experiences these people are talking about, what their lives are like, the challenges they're facing, and you can expand your network as well. So those are some suggestions. Anyone here have some other ideas you'd like to share about how you may have diversified your network? Any top of mind, you can just shout it out and I'll repeat it. Go ahead. Excellent. So getting involved with nonprofits in your community gets you out of the industry, and we are kind of a, a bubble, aren't we, in tech? So it gets you out of your industry, meets people from a broad uh, background, broad set of backgrounds, I'll say, and gives you different perspective. Thank you for sharing that. It's a great tip. Anyone else have one? One more? No. We'll move forward. Okay. Topic number two, and this is meetings. I think most of tech is fueled by meetings, too. We get so much done, whether they're in person or remote. And there's so many ways where people who are from underrepresented backgrounds really are not having an equal place at the table. First thing I'm going to talk about, my interruptions. This is the Supreme Court of the United States about a year ago. It's changed since then, I think most of us know. But about a year ago, and about a year ago, there was a researcher who studied 12 years of Supreme Court hearings, the transcripts from 12 years of their hearings, and found that the women on the Supreme Court, on average, these justices were interrupted four times more than their male colleagues, okay? And they only did the interrupting themselves about 3% of the time, okay? So even at the Supreme Court with these highly educated, highly experienced, highly esteemed colleagues, the men were interrupting the women more than vice versa. And I think we're seeing this playing out in tech as well. Um, I don't know what it is about interruptions, but you know, men, you have longer vocal cords, which means your voices are deeper, more resonant, you can project better. So maybe it's just easier for you to interrupt. Maybe it's culturally more acceptable for a man to interrupt versus a woman. That could be. Maybe it's that women, we tend to use a lot of qualifying phrases, such as, well, you know, excuse me, if you wouldn't mind, I'd like to make a point here based on our meeting, right? We just, we, we have a lot, um, often we use these qualifying phrases because we feel like we need to justify even speaking. So perhaps it's make, we make it easy to interrupt ourselves. So regardless of the reason, man interruptions are a thing and they prevent women from getting their points across and feeling like, why even bother speaking if I'm just going to be interrupted? Another thing that happens is bro-propriations. <laughs> okay, bro-propriation. This is when a bro appropriates an idea. And this is a picture of 
Obama, President Obama's staff meeting during his first term, and what the female staffers started doing in, a, in his staff meetings was realizing that the men, well, first of all, the women were saying something in a meeting. Maybe it wasn't that significant. It didn't really go anywhere. And then a man, one of the male staffers, in the same meeting said that same thing and got all the credit. Okay? Ooh, I know. So what did they do? They just, and it just sort of started happening, according to the, um, the media I've read. They, they started amplifying each other's ideas. When one of the female staffers said something, another female staffer would immediately jump in and say, and build on that idea and give her credit. It might look like this. You're like, Hillary, <laughs> Hillary, I like the point you just made. And what if we did this? Okay? So that they prevented the idea from falling short or they prevented a man from appropriating the idea, okay? And these appropriations are also a thing in tech. In fact, I have a little experiment I'd like to run here. For the men in the audience, I want you to raise your hand if this has happened to you, where you've said something in a meeting, and then later on, and it didn't really go anywhere, it wasn't really picked up, wasn't, didn't seem like that important, but later on in the same meeting, someone else said the same thing and got all the credit. Just men, would you raise your hand if this has happened to you? Couple. So I'm going to say that's roughly 10% of the, the men here, roughly. It's hard for me to count. So, so it happens. Okay. Now, women, how many of this has happened to you? Raise your hand. Yeah, a lot more hands just went up, and I'm not sure we have a lot more women in the room. So yeah, so we are seeing a difference just here in the room. Thank you for doing that. It's a thing. Another thing I want to share with you is that there is a survey called the Elephant in the Valley Survey run just after Ellen Pau lost her very famous lawsuit against Kleiner Perkins, gender discrimination lawsuit. And this Elephant in the Valley survey looked at and surveyed hundreds of women working in Silicon Valley with more than 10 years of experience. 88% of them reported that they had experienced a time when a question that should have come to them because they were the most experienced, qualified person in the room to answer it actually was asked of a man instead. I'm seeing a lot of head shake up and down, yeah. Um, these misdirected questions, another way this, this shows up, I was talking to a CEO of a startup who said that he goes down a lot of customer visits and he always brings the sales engineer with him because he can't answer all the technical questions. Happens she's a woman, he's a man. And at every meeting, pretty much, someone will ask him a question about the API and he just has to say, you have to ask Sue, she wrote the API, right? Every single time. So this is another way that prevents women and probably other people who don't fit the mold of what an engineer looks like, prevents us from showing up and really doing our best work in these meetings. And it's pretty frustrating. So my second set of calls to action for all of you, some everyday actions, is to do what you can to amplify and advocate for people in meetings. To do things like notice that interruptions are happening and stop them in their tracks. All it takes is a simple, you know, Hey, I'd like to hear Emma finish her thought. And secondly, cultivate a culture of credit. Doing, saying things like, hey, I see you agree with that point Willie made earlier in the meeting, if it's one of those bro appropriation moments. Or a culti cultivating a culture of credit might look like this. I see, or here's what I learned about, learned about AWS from Anna. I once had a boss his name's Digby. And I started working for him soon after I 
joined Adobe, and I was actually joined Adobe through an acquisition. And I remember sitting in a meeting once earlier, early on, working for Adobe, and he was, it was an engineering leadership meeting, a lot of very important VPs and me, and I heard Digby say, well, let me tell you what I learned about, learned from Karen about the following. And my goodness, the next thing he said was nothing exactly I had ever said. Um, he had taken something I'd shared with him in a one-on-one -on -one and kind of recast it in Adobe speak, and he gave me all the credit. And it made me feel so good. I feel, feel like I earned some cred with my new colleagues. And I learned to speak in the, in the Adobe style, so to speak, if you can imagine that. So it's a great way to cultivate this culture of credit and give people shout outs like that. And then of course, please pay attention to these misdirected questions and just redirect them back to the person who should be receiving them. May's the expert, let's ask her, right? Anything else people would add to this list? to amplify and advocate for meetings in meetings. How have you done this in your workplaces? Anything else? Yeah, please go ahead. If I'll repeat. If you hear somebody trying to mansplain over the top of you, definitely point it out. Like maybe give this person the chance to speak. Yeah. If, yeah, so another, um, there are a lot of these like fun little words that we've invented recently in the feminist and tech movement. So mansplaining is another one. Um, and so if you hear someone mansplaining, which is basically trying to fill in the context or the definition or whatever it is about some topic when really the woman was really just fine talking about herself, call it out. Um, it's kind of, can be kind of uncomfortable, but simply, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to point out, hey, you were mansplaining, which might put someone a little bit on edge um, and get defensive, but you can definitely say, hey, I think that Sally really knows her stuff. I want to hear how she would explain that. Yeah. How about another one? Yeah. Love that. So amplify even men who are introverted and might be having trouble expressing their thoughts or being heard, and hope for the best that they will return the favor, which I love that. So that's all cultivating a, a culture of allyship. I love that. Thank you for sharing. One more. Go in and back. Love that. So encouraging engineers to give brown bags, chalk talks, to share something that they've learned. And otherwise, they probably wouldn't um, bother. It's like, why <laughs> none of us, no, actually, I love public speaking, but most of us don't. <laughs> in fact, I think most people would rather be, this is a Jerry Seinfeld joke I'm about to say, most people would rather be in the coffin than giving the eulogy. That's how much we hate public speaking. But, but giving, encouraging people to give those talks, to get the recognition, to get the visibility that then comes from having given a talk on a topic like that. Love that, thank you, thank you. All right, let's move on to our next topic, which is feedback. And specifically giving effective feedback, but also equitable feedback. Now what's interesting is there's research from Stanford's Clayman Institute about how 
we give feedback differently to men and women. They studied thousands of written annual performance reviews from three large tech companies and a professional services company. And what they found was surprising even to the researchers. There were many ways that we differed in giving the feedback across the genders. So women were less likely to get feedback that tied their work to the business outcome directly, okay? And also they got shorter reviews. Didn't say as much about them. Whereas men, by contrast, were offered a clearer picture of how to get to the next level, what they needed to keep doing because it really was working and having an impact on the business, and what new skills they needed to learn, especially technical skills. And what this might look like is a woman might get a short and sweet, people like working with you. That's nice, right? But look at what the man might get. You are effective at building team consensus. You successfully resolved which features to prioritize in our last sprint, lead, leading us to ship the product on time. Okay? That's what impactful feedback looks like, tied to the business outcomes, what they need to keep doing because it's working and it's valued. They also found some other changes. I know there's a lot of text up here, but women were described as being supportive, collaborative, and helpful twice as often as the men. And, I don't quite get this, but they also got 76% of the references of being too aggressive. Okay, those, it's like doesn't compute. But anyway, this is, this is what the data shows. And they got twice as, twice as many references to team accomplishments versus their individual accomplishments. Interesting, huh? By contrast, the men got reviews that included words like drive, transform, innovate, tackle, real power words, I feel, in tech, twice as often as women got them. They got three times the feedback tied to the business outcome. Here's what you're doing and how that impacts the success of our product, our initiative, our company. They got twice the number of references to their technical expertise, and they were more likely to be told where to grow technically. Okay. And without this kind of feedback, women are less likely to know how they're supposed to be growing their career, and what steps to take, right? It's really not very equitable or fair. And then I want to ask all of you a question. I want you to raise your hand if you agree with this statement. I seldom hesitate to give difficult feedback, whether that's to people you, re you manage or to your peers, maybe in a 360 or just a more of a casual thing. I seldom hesitate to give difficult feedback. Raise your hand if you agree with this. Okay, 10% of you, maybe, something. That's pretty small based on how I've done this in the past, and it's pretty small based on research. Interesting. Leanin.org and McKinsey ran a big study. They do it every year, it's called Women in the Workplace. And they found that 66% of managers say, and agree with that statement, that they say that I seldom hesitate to give difficult feedback. Two thirds of managers think they do a pretty good job at this. But then they, sur and they surveyed the women and the men, asking, well, do you get difficult feedback? And only 36% of the women responded saying, yeah, I get difficult feedback sometimes, often, or very often, okay? So there's a disconnect there. So even for the people who raised your hand here, you may think that you're giving the difficult feedback, but you might not be actually passing it along to the women, or they're not hearing it, right? And notice also that the men said, roughly half of them said, yeah, I tend to get this difficult feedback. 
So it's almost a 20-point difference there between the women thinking they get difficult feedback and the men getting difficult feedback. So perhaps we're giving this difficult, challenging, constructive feedback, this stuff that makes you learn and think about things and grow. We might be giving that more to the men than the women. And perhaps, perhaps we're giving that difficult feedback to the men more than the women because of that dreaded tissue box I mentioned. We're concerned that people might cry. How many people have had someone cry when you've given performance feedback? A few people. It's not fun, right? No, no, it's, not, it's really not pleasant. Um, and so we might think I'm not even going to go there because this is really going to be uncomfortable. Well, that Lean In and McKinsey study that I mentioned, the Women in the Workplace study, they found a number of reasons why we hesitate to give difficult feedback. The first one is this concern about the tissue box, the emotional breakdown. And we're much more likely to think that, we're, or much more likely to hold back from giving difficult feedback to women than men because of the tissue box. Okay? But that's not the only reason. There are all these other reasons they uncovered. Concerned I'll seem biased or prejudiced. Concerned about an outburst, which I think means more like something physical, like punching a wall or something like that. I don't want them to dislike me. And I'm concerned about seeming mean or hurtful. There are a lot of reasons besides just the tissue box that we hesitate to give difficult feedback. And I want to draw your attention to number two. It's sort of just subtle there, number two, um, and it's almost even in terms of the gender. But we tend not to, and this has been borne by other research, we tend not to give difficult feedback across a line, across a line to someone who's different than us, to a different gender, to a different sexual orientation, to a different skin color. We tend not to give difficult feedback to people who are different than us because we don't want them to think, oh, I'm a, you know, I'm a white woman, I'm going to be having to give this difficult feedback to a person of color on my team, they're going to think I'm racist. Or I'm a man, and I don't want to give difficult feedback to the woman because she's going to think I'm nitpicking her and being very sexist, and she, you know, it's not going to go well. Okay? There's research showing that this holds us back. And again, it's not fair, it's not equitable. And given the landscape of tech, most of the managers who are giving difficult feedback are white men. And if you're not passing this, this, this constructive, helpful feedback to people on your team who aren't like you, it perpetuates the problems with diversity and inclusion. So the call to action around giving equal feedback, giving equitable and fair and effective feedback, is focus on the business impact. Every time you give someone whether it's an annual review or a more casual check-in in a one-on-one -on -one or a kudo, if you have that kind of ability to send kudos. Focus on the business impact, not just people like working with you, but how does that pay forward and have an impact on the, on the business on the bottom line? And give that direct feedback that people desperately need and deserve. Don't ease up just to hurt, avoid hurt feelings. Bring a tissue box with you if you have to. Share the expertise you see in them. Suggest new skills to learn. Okay. And this is like the simplest of all. Write reviews of the same length, please. Right? That's something we can all check ourselves on. Anything? Yeah, you want to add something to the list or a question? Mm -hmm. And with women, well, they're, they're not having that same end. Okay. 
So what about the unconscious bias we might have about what the feedback, how the feedback is going to help someone with their career goals? I'm not familiar with research on that, but I'm sure that is alive and, and uh, present. And I would say that when giving feedback, what we should be doing is having objective criteria for evaluating people and knowing their career goals, right? It takes a lot of work, but that's important to know what they want to be doing, having objective criteria that we can apply the same, right? Yeah, thank you for bringing that up. Anything else you'd add to this list? Maybe things you've done? Go ahead. So increase the frequency. Don't just wait for a once-a-year check-in. I think a lot of companies are moving towards that. And get it, just have it be easier to share the constructive feedback. Create that culture of, I'm going to be talking about your, your performance all the time. I love that. Thank you for bringing that up. I think that can really help, too. Okay, let's move on to our last topic, office housework. What does this mean to anyone? Like, shout it out what this means, if you know what office housework is. Making coffee. Making coffee. Taking minutes. Taking minutes. Cleaning the refrigerator. Planning the parties. What's that one? Printing stuff. Wait, print? What? Uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> print. Phone duty. Gosh, phone duty. Wow. Yeah, so all of these kinds of things are office housework. They're things that have to get done for the health of the organization, but they don't really lead to, like, you know, kind of business impact or career growth and so forth. Quick story about this. Um, I was at a client meeting about a little over a year ago. And I was in a meeting, and it was their women in tech steering committee. And it was all women around the table, and one male ally who was a part of the committee. And this group ahead of time had decided that they would have a rotation for taking minutes, as well as a rotation for being timekeeper for their meetings. And so the chairperson at the start of this meeting I'm telling you about looked through her notes and saw whose turn it was to take the minutes and do the timekeeping. And it turned out it was the male allies turn. I'm going to call him Dave. I can't actually remember his name, but it probably was Dave. Um, so she said, Dave, it's your turn to take the minutes. Well, Dave then said, I can't make this stuff up. Dave said, you know, I'm not really good at taking minutes. Someone else should do that. And I thought that was so unfair for him to assume that someone else, like push them in a subservient role so he didn't have to do this office housework. And you know how you have these things happen during the course of the day, and then on your drive home, or maybe when you're falling asleep that night, you think of the perfect thing you wish you had said? Yeah. Well, for once, I thought of the perfect thing in that moment. And so I said to Dave, I said, Dave, I want to tell you something. Practice makes perfect. <laughs> And this is the perfect place to practice. There was no way I was going to let him kind of get out of that responsibility. So what's interesting, it's not just that one meeting, it's not just Dave, but in that Elephant in the Valley survey I mentioned before, almost half of the women reported that they'd been asked to do a lower-level task that their male colleagues had not been asked to do. Okay? And on top of that, there's research showing that women of color are tasked with more of this office housework than their white colleagues. Now, I was teaching a workshop based on this material about a year ago, and one of the guys in the 
in the audience at that point just raised his hand. He's like, I have to ask a question. I'm like, okay. He's like, so what's the big deal? Like, what if, I mean, I think there are people who really like these kind of tasks. What's the big deal? Why can't they just do it? I'm like, well, tell me more. He's like, well, there's, there's like Julie over, you know, on our staff, and she's, she's another engineer, and she always washes the mugs in the kitchen. I, I think it helps her, like, handle her stress. She goes in there, she cleans up, it just got, it takes a break. I, she really likes it. I was like, huh. <laughs> and so I say, hey, is Julie here? And Julie was there. She was like, yeah, I'm here. I said, Julie, do you enjoy washing the mugs? And she's like, no. I wash them because I get more stressed out seeing all the pile of dirty dishes than I just, I just want to like get, get it cleaned up because that stresses me out to see all of that. No, I don't want to wash the dishes. So even if someone happens to enjoy these tasks, it still can be a burden. And the tasks, I mean, we had a lot of great shout outs of what office housework might look like. A lot of it is administrative, especially if it's not your job. I used to be a program manager, like my friend Ken here, and program managers take notes. We run meetings. We do all of this kind of administrative work for the health of the, of the um, team that we're supporting. So that's fine. That's not office housework if it's our job. It's when it's not our job that it becomes the office housework. So it's not just these administrative types of tasks, but also undervalued tasks. And I really want to raise your awareness about this. Undervalued tasks like training the interns for the fifth summer in a row, right? First time, it's kind of cool. You learn how to mentor an intern, maybe build some management skills. But the fifth time, it's like this is not a career growth opportunity anymore, right? It might be writing the unit tests for your team. It may look like cleaning up the source code comments before shipping that code off to a partner or putting it into an open source repo, right? It may be joining a hiring committee for another department, okay? These things all have to happen, but they don't lead to career growth. And that's what's office housework. And unfortunately, women and women of color do more than their fair share. And this impact, when we do it, is it puts us in a subservient role to our peers. Oh, you're the one who can clean up the source code comments. Great. And by the way, that takes away from doing more impactful work. When we're cleaning up the source code comments or whatever it is, we're not addressing the bug backlog that we have assigned to us, right? It interrupts our flow. I was talking to an engineer who loves babies. And she loves babies so much that she gladly volunteers each time there's a team member who's having a baby. So she volunteers to collect the money for the, the gift and buy a card so everyone can sign it, right? She loves it because then she can go shopping and buy some baby things. But she did tell me, she said, inevitably, 4 o'clock in the afternoon, I am deep in the flow of engineering. I am tracking down some gnarly bug, and I am in that source code, and I'm really deep into it and someone comes along to give me the $10 and sign the card. Totally interrupts my flow, right? And if we are the ones taking the meeting minutes, we're kind of a step behind the conversation. And it prevents us from making the killer points and getting that visibility we really should be getting in the meetings, right? So the call to action, the everyday actions for all of you to think about doing is look for ways that you can disrupt office housework on your team. Set up those rotations we talked about for the administrative tasks. Share the load. Share the load in terms of, yeah, Deep is great at mentoring, but it's the perfect job for Nick, the new hire, right? To just spread it out. And of course, volunteer yourself. Next time you're in any kind of lunch meeting or breakfast meeting, clear the leftovers, please, yourself. And don't assume that the last woman walking out the door is going to do that, which happens.
Okay. So I'm going to wrap this up now. And I hope that you all realize you have a role to play in creating more inclusive and diverse workplaces. We talked about diversifying our network, which you can do the moment you walk out of this room today, honest. We talked about meeting culture. We talked about providing equal and effective and equitable feedback, and last but not least, office housework. And these are all, in many ways, simple things to do. But diversity and inclusion is not always simple. And I want to challenge all of you to just think and reflect on this question. How far are you willing to go to be a better ally? Are you willing to give up an evening with your family to go out and attend a woman of color in tech event or a lesbian who tech event, right? Are you willing to do that? Are you willing, next year when you're invited to come here to reinvent to give a talk, are you willing to give your speaking slot to someone from an underrepresented group? Are you willing to step away from business and say no to revenue because maybe that customer harassed someone on your team? What are your values and how are they going to show up and allow you to be better allies? How far are you willing to go? It's a huge spectrum. And if you want to get more of these everyday actions, this inspiration, here's some additional resources. I told you about my Better Allies Twitter handle. I'm also on Medium and Pinterest and Instagram if you prefer those social medias, uh, channels. I have a website, betterallies.com, where if you want to go there, you can sign up for my weekly newsletter called Five Ally Actions. You can also sign up to find out when my book will be available. I have another uh, sign-up sheet there, um, and I'll let you know when it's going to be available on Amazon in, in January. Um, but I hope you're going to join me in becoming better allies. Being an ally is really a journey, you know, and I'm, I'm learning more every day. This is not a one-and-done type of thing. You can't ever check it off. It is a constant forward movement, constant learning, constant growth. So I hope you all join me in becoming and being better allies. Um, and with that, I'd love to open it up for Q&A. We have mics, so I don't have to keep repeating things. So we'll, um, we have mics in both of the aisles here if you do have questions. But thank you for coming. Thank you for bringing the brave first person. Yes, it's live. So I'm with Girls in Tech. I'm one of the managing directors. Thank you. And it's all women, board. I've been trying to get a man on board, but no success yet. But even among us, um, I'm one of the co-managing directors, so essentially I'm one of the leaders of the chapter. And I still feel like I have to watch what I say personally as well. Um, and I don't know why. I guess it's the vibe that I get from the other women. So I'm trying to be better at that. But sometimes I get resistance to uh, have these people do simple things. And it's weird because, you know, I'm a woman. <laughs> and I'm the leader of the, of the organization. It's, it's just... So what's your, what's your question? So how do you deal with that to, uh, I guess, make them feel comfortable and not make them feel intimidated uh, to do this kind of work. Do I make sense? I th well, gosh, yeah. I mean, first of all, I think running any kind of volunteer organization is tough, whether that's a woman in tech, girls, and girls who code, any of that type of thing. It's like running a volunteer organization is tough. So I don't know if that's what you're facing when it comes right down to it. It's um, probably that. 
Because, you know, they have their own job and yeah. to ask them to do this other stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So it's difficult. Yes. yes. Uh, it, it, I just want to empathize. Yes, it's difficult. It's difficult. Um, I want to make sure, too, that you have a nice big aspirational goal. I was hearing from someone earlier who is working on um, making sure that people in Texas, that they, like an end of um, hunger in Texas, and so the goal of their nonprofit is to end hunger in Texas. That's kind of hard, right? What's your goal? Is it equally like what out there and aspirational, the kind of thing that people are like, I need to help make that happen, and I'm going to do everything I can to, to do that? I don't know if you have one of those or not, but, but that's another idea. And actually, that uh, does come to the table. We tell our group, okay, yeah, these might be mundane tasks because we've got to organize this, call so-and-so, whatever. But remember, our end goal is to motivate more Great. women to be in tech, yeah. and that's our purpose. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, I think that does help. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, I think I want to um, include other people in the Q&A. Um, I, it's, it's, um, I value what you're doing, and I think it's hard to answer that just as a, you know, how to motivate people in general, yeah. And of course, reinforcing the positive behavior you're seeing um, and showing the impact accordingly too. Yeah, definitely. Do you have another question? Uh, sure, so thank you so much. Really enjoyed the session. I guess my question is, we're at an event where, I don't know the exact numbers, I think there's like 40,000 people attending. Yep. Thrilled that the session is on the schedule. I didn't count, but I'm gonna say there's 100-ish people in the room. And I would guess that it's a largely self-selecting group of people who already know this is an issue we care about and are passionate about and want to see move forward. So my question is, for a community like this, at the next reInvent or the next big tech conference, what do we need to do to bring these topics into the general conversation for the 39,900 people who didn't sign up? <laughs> for this session, <laughs> because we're all the people, I would guess, by and large, who are trying to do the things we can do as individuals already. There's an awful lot of people who looked through the agenda and went, of all the things I want to do, this isn't I know, what this I want to spend an this hour isn't on. The priority. How do we reach yeah. them? Yeah. So um, Sasha, who works for Amazon, uh, AWS, and invited me to speak here today, wants to answer your question. So hi, I'm Sasha Thompson. I am the inclusion marketing lead for Amazon Web Services and manage the WePowerTech program. And so your question is something that's been on my mind for the last year. Um, and so one of the things that we're trying to do is take a lot of the activities that we do at reInvent throughout the year so that by the time we come to reInvent, it's not new, right? So you're gonna start seeing more things around We Power Tech. You're gonna see more partnerships with Girls Who Code and other organizations, Lesbians Who Tech, Blacks in Technology, um, so that we can continue these conversations outside of this conference because I think um, what happens is we're like, okay, we're at this one event and then you don't think about it for a year. And so our goal is really to increase that visibility 
Um, we run a series of events called Underrepresented in Tech in different regions across the US and now globally. So one of the things that I will ask everyone here um, that is interested in learning more and being um, a part of this is come to the WePower Tech booth and sign up. Go to our website and sign up and let us know how we can help because one of the best things that you can do is say we want more of this and I need to hear it from our customers because if I say it, they're like, oh, it's yeah. Sasha. <laughs> right? So if you say it, yes. Like, I do really want to thank you for having this part of the schedule, but I think you know, there's doing more of this, but more of this is still inviting the people who want to go sign up to participate in those conversations yeah. to be able to do that more often. I, I'm really struggling with how do we get all the people in all the other sessions. Like we have to find ways to stealth these topics in yeah. sessions that don't require no, signing sugar kind right. of approach, right? Let's you talk. thought you were coming to a session on AI, but we're gonna like <laughs> smuggle some allyship into it. Anyway. I'm all about that. Love Let's that. talk. Okay. So we are, we're out of time now, and so I want to thank you, and what a great way to end. I'll stick around for as long as people have additional questions. Happy to talk more, um, but um, best wishes, everyone. <laughs>